Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I began learning to fly two weeks before the 9-11, 2001. I started learning to fly, and in the first couple of years of my aviation career, I had really big dreams, so big that they were to be a captain of a 747. You guys know what a 747 is? Four engines, giant jumbo jet, right? And so I lived into this dream for for most of my early aviation career. Every rating that I got, every certificate that I got, I was one step closer. I was going to be a jet captain, a big jet captain, fly around the world. It was going to be amazing. Um, And so I really lived into this dream. And then in 2003, I gave my life to Jesus. I still had big jet dreams. I still had hopes to fly around the world. But sometime between 2003 and 2010, and I can't put my finger on exactly when, my dreams started to change. I started to have different dreams. I started to dream about what God was up to, which was kind of a weird thing for me. I started to like really get excited about the prospect of people meeting Jesus. Every time there was a baptism that I saw, I would cry. And all I wanted was for people to begin to see and meet Jesus and find the hope and the joy and the life transformation that I had experienced. That's what I wanted. These are the things I started to dream about. And then in 2011, somewhere around 2011, it's hard to pinpoint these things, I realized that God had a dream for my life and that God's dream for my life was much bigger than I ever imagined it could be. I began to to understand that God's dream for my life was to create a community of people that were passionate about seeing people meet Jesus. And that is what you're sitting in now is this community that God has birthed out of this dream that I realized was His. See, over the period of time, my dreams stopped existing and His dreams began to be what I dreamed about. That God had a dream for my life. And I was living into this. And what happened is over time, my dream to be a 747 captain became God's dream to see people meet him. To see people come into relationship with him. This was the dream that was being born in my heart. And since 2011, more and more what I have discovered is I don't really have a lot of my own dreams I live into a lot of dreams that God has for me. The question I want to pose to you today is, what do you dream about? What kind of dreams do you have? Do you, have, do you know that God has a dream for your life? That's the question I want to look at today. We've been in this series for a number of weeks that I've called Breakthrough, and the, the idea behind this series has been that, that we would understand the kingdom of God better. And today we're going to finish that series, but in case this is like your first time here or you missed a few of those weeks and you just haven't had a chance to catch on the podcast, let me take you back through a little tour. See, one of the things I said in the very first week is that understanding the kingdom of God is one of the keystone beliefs. It's one of the keystone understandings 
that will help you understand fully what Jesus was talking about and what the ministry of Jesus is all about. So the kingdom of God is a, is a keystone understanding. And the first week, what I told you is, we're in the middle of a battle. And I think everybody was like, yeah, I get that. That makes sense. You know, everything about my social media feed is a battle, right? Everything about getting my kids to do what I want them to do is a battle, right? Well, so everything that's happening in the world is the, in the midst of a battle, that the kingdom of God, what I said in the first week, is the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign. It's where God gets his way. And that the kingdom of God is advancing, and in the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God broke into this present evil age, invaded the kingdom of Satan, that, that the works of the enemy might be overtaken and might be undone. And that's what the ministry of Jesus was all about. And so in the second week, Evan talked about how the kingdom of God is already and it's not yet. That we know that because Jesus came, the kingdom of God began, right? You look around and you see that God gets his way sometimes. And then sometimes he doesn't get his way. And we live in this weird tension between the kingdom of God has already come and yet it's not yet fully here. Anybody feel like the kingdom of God is all the way here? Right? We, don't, we know that's not true. And yet we look forward to a day as followers of Jesus. We live in this tension between the kingdom of God already coming and the kingdom of God not yet coming. We know that one day Jesus will return and the kingdom of God will fully come. That God will get his way all the time in every situation. The third week we talked about how the kingdom of God doesn't fit within our expectations. That we have a lot of ideas and expectations. We're not the only ones that have these. But that the kingdom of God doesn't fit. God does what he wants and it forces us into a posture of humility. That if we want to participate in what God is doing, it's him that initiates. He decides how the kingdom of God advances into the kingdom of darkness. And so he invites us to participate. But we're not the initiators. We follow his direction. The kingdom of God is a surprise. Sometimes we think certain things are going to happen and they don't because God's doing something else. I think a lot of times I feel a little bit like he's like, you know, my lost two-year-old, right? It's like, where did he go this time? What's he doing now? I don't know if that's your experience, but that's how I feel a lot of times. It's like, well, I thought he was going to heal that guy, but I guess he's over here doing this thing. And a lot of times we're just sort of like, God, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to do what you're doing, but we don't initiate. He does. And it makes us a humble people, right? Then in the, the fourth week, I talked about how the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom is show and tell. That it's not enough for us to just say Jesus is king, but there ought to be some demonstration of that reality. That's where Jesus invites us to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Anybody raise the dead yet? You can put that on your to-do list before 2021 ends. You know, just raise the dead. Let's do that in December. You pick a week. We'll just, we'll just go do it. Um, as if it's that easy, right? That we don't just tell people that Jesus is the king, but he invites us to show people that he is. And so that's where we do this whole, we get involved in this whole weird miraculous thing that I think scares half of us, if not more than half, right? We're all a little bit like, I don't know if I can do that. That's a little bit weird. Then last week, Jerry talked about how in the kingdom... Everybody gets to play. Everybody has a role to play. And everybody's role is important. Not everybody plays every role, right? And so what I want to do to close this series 
this week is I want to talk about the dreams of the kingdom. I want to talk about God's dreams. More specifically, I want to talk about the dreams that God has for each and every one of your lives. That God has a dream for your life and that the invitation is that you would step into God's dream for your life. This is not some self-made nonsense, but that God has a dream for your life and he invites you to step into his dream for who you would become. I'm calling this message today, Kingdom Dreams, and and let's pray, and then we'll look at at Scripture. So would you just pray with me? So Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge you are present. We acknowledge you are active, and Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts, God, that you would stir in us the possibilities that you already have placed in your dreams and in our hearts, God. I pray that we would lay down all of the things that we want, Lord, that we would be able to say yes to what you want. God, enable me to speak as I should. I pray, Lord, that your words would be what come through. Fill me now with your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a device, you can go there as well. We've spent most of this series looking at the Gospels, which is a good spot to start because you have Jesus beginning the ministry of Jesus, right? This is the kingdom invading. But what I want to do to close this out is I want to talk from the perspective of a little bit more mature kingdom of God people. This letter is written by Paul to this this church in Ephesus, uh, some people say that it's, it's a circuit letter that's intended to go to a number of different churches. But the idea here is these people have already said yes to Jesus and given their lives to Jesus, and these people now are engaged in this kingdom advancement. That's what's happening here. So Paul is writing this letter to these guys, and he, be, he, he writes this letter in the same way that he writes just about every other letter. If you've never sat down and read the letters of Paul, I would encourage you to do so. Paul does something very consistently. If you read chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul just like, he starts like a worship service, right? He just sort of like bursts out in praise, and I thank my God for you, over and over and over. That's what he always does. And then Paul spends, in every one of his letters, he spends the first half telling people who they are, and the second half addressing their problems, And the reason he does this is because most of the time, the problem isn't the problem. The problem is you forgot who you are. And can I just say, before we look at this, if you are involved in leading any person, if you are involved in caring for any person, if you are involved in pastoring people, whether you're called a pastor or not, if you're involved in providing any sort of care for people, this is a great model to follow. Most of the time, what I run into with people is not that they they have problems, but most of the time, the problem isn't really the problem. Really what the problem is, is I've forgotten who I am. And if I remind you of who you are, most of the time, the problem works itself out. Oh, I'm not the kind of person who would do that. Oh, that makes sense. Solves the problem. That's just a a freebie. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to key in on one verse. And it's verse 10. I read this just a little bit ago. We're going to key in on verse 10. And here's what verse 10 says. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you take a look at that, this verse is sort of the pinnacle of an argument that Paul has been making, beginning in verse 1. He's been building and building and building so that he can say verse 10. And so we're going to look at verse 10, but it would be mighty irresponsible of us to read the Bible that way. We should probably look at all the verses that lead up to it so that verse 10 makes sense. And just as an aside, you know, most of us, you guys have your verse of the day. Anybody do the verse of the day kind of thing, right? This is a, it's great to have a verse of the day. It's a very irresponsible way to read the Bible. It's like cracking open a fortune cookie and going, oh, here's a verse, that'll work. Do you know that this is a letter? How many of your letters would you like it if somebody just took one sentence out and said, that'll work? Right? This is sort of a a very irresponsible way to read the Bible. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin in verse 1, and I'm going to build back up to verse 10. Verse 1 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I I, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty depressing way to paint the picture of humanity, isn't it? You were dead. All right. Here ends the message, right? That's a very depressing way to paint humanity. It's like you were dead. But what I hope you maybe see is there's a little picture of what we talked about in week one. What Paul's talking about is says, you were following in the kingdom of darkness. You were living in in step with the kingdom of darkness. You were in the enemy camp. You were under enemy control. And he doesn't say, well, you were just a little off. You were just, you were were so close. You know, you, you had all the right parts. You just missed this one part. No, he says, you were dead. Dead. You were dead. And just in case we start pointing and looking around, like, you know, you start looking around going, well, I think they were dead. They, that, they were. He over there, that guy, that guy, he's really dead. He doesn't leave it there, right? He says, all of us were dead. All of us were enemies of God. Can I just say? This is, this is always the picture that gets painted. Nobody is born a Christian. Biblically speaking, nobody is born a Christian. You may have been born into a Christian family, and you have a much better shot of growing up to know, love, and follow Jesus, but nobody is born a Christian. We were all dead. All of us need to be rescued. All of us need to be saved. Nobody was born a Christian. I, I, that's a, it's a very fun thing once you've preached that, and then people tell you, I was born a Christian. It's like, am I going to really engage in that battle right now? No, probably not. We were all dead. We're all in the same spot. God has no grandchildren, only children. Verse 4, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? But God. Terrible picture, but God. Isn't that the, the, like, those are like music to my ears. But God. 
right? This, this picture of like, we're all in great trouble, and yet God's love triumphs. God loves us so much that he would rescue us, that he looks into the enemy camp, and he sees us. He says, I want that one. I love that one. I want that one. And it's not because you and I have some great value. It's because of who he is. He loves us. He sees dead and enslaved people, and he says, I'm going to give them life. This is the picture of what it is to, to become a follower of Jesus. You were dead. God gives you life, and it's by grace. Verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know, God didn't just make us alive. It says he, we were seated with Christ in the heavenly places. If you're not sure what this means, think of it like this. You were in the enemy camp. God picked you up and set you in the kingdom of God with Christ. You have been seated with Christ in the kingdom of God. It's a transfer of ownership. You now belong to Christ. You are in the kingdom of God. The other thing is that that means that you have authority. To be in the kingdom of God means that you have authority over the kingdom of darkness. It no longer has authority over you. That's the transfer that happens. And then verse 7 says, is, is very interesting. It has impl implications maybe that we haven't ever thought about. It's not even that we were good. It's not like we even deserved it. Verse 7 says this, you were so bad. I was so bad. We were so bad that God inviting us to the party is a testament to how deep his grace is. That's what Paul says. It's almost like you know, you walk into a party, and you're like, they let that guy in here? That's usually me. They let that guy in here? Man, you must be a nice host if you're going to let that guy, right? This is, the, this is what Paul's saying. None of us deserve to be there. And it, be, the fact that, we belong, that we're there is not a testament to, like, some value in us. It's a testament to how much grace God has. That you and I made it. We're here. We're in. Woo! It's a testament to the grace of God. Verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul says this again. You're like, I just heard him say this. He says it again. You didn't do this. God did this. You couldn't earn this if you wanted to. And you didn't want to. God did it. It's an act of grace. It's, it's a gift of God. And here's why. Why does Paul say that twice? I promise you I'm getting about dreams. I promise you we're getting there. Why does he say that twice? Because this whole argument is so important to understand so that he can say what he says in verse 10. If we don't understand this, verse 10 makes no sense. And here's what he says in verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul says, we, meaning all who are in Christ, have been remade as new creations. We're a new creation. And the purpose is to do good works. The reason we were remade was to do good works. And here's the key. God dreamt these things beforehand. 
These were dreams that God had for you beforehand. It's not like he was like, all right, now I've saved you, so go do some good things. No, God had dreams for your life before you were saved. Do you know that? God had dreams for your life before you knew him. And the reason Paul needs to make this so clear, the fact that it's all about grace, is because if it's not clear to us that we don't have any business being here, if that's at all foggy, we start taking credit for all the things that we do. Don't we? We start taking credit for it. It's so important that we understand. If you don't know that every last bit of it is all grace, that none of it is deserved, none of it is anything that we made happen, that we couldn't have made it happen if we wanted to. If we don't understand that, when you lay a hand on somebody and they get healed, you start going, wow, I must be pretty good, right? I don't know about you, but I've tried to lay hands on lots of people for healing, and that just doesn't happen sometimes. Lots of times. If you don't understand that it's all grace, when God gives you a word for someone, you start thinking, man, I must be really right with God. I must be somebody special. I knew everything about their life, and I'm just really, really special. Or, you know, when, when God starts planting churches, through using you to plant churches, you start going, man, I'm something super special. Y'all owe me. There's a reason this feels so close, Right? We need to know that it's all grace. Before we can talk about the dreams God has for your life, what we need to be clear on is every last bit of it is grace. Every last bit of it is grace. It's because the dreams that God has for your life are so significant that if we miss that piece, we'll begin to take God's glory, which really is only His. We'll begin to, to, to usurp his glory. And the fact of the matter is, all the things that God calls us to do, all the dreams that he has for our life, we couldn't do them anyway unless he saved us and gave us his spirit. I don't know about you, but anytime you've ever tried to lean in and try to do anything miraculous, if he don't show up, we're in trouble, aren't we? Maybe you haven't tried to do something like that. Maybe you should. And I'll just tell you now, this is something you never get away from. You never get away from this. Every step you take into God's dream for your life carries with it the risk that you will take his glory. Every step you take. We moved here to plant this church, and I can't tell you how many times, I'm sad to say, in seven and a half years, I have had to again put a knife through this thing that thinks I'm owed something. Every time. And every time I'm like, man, I thought I killed that. And yet here I am, you know. One of the things when you have apostolic gifting, you like to start new things. You want credit for the things you start, right? Except for that it's God's dream for your life. He's just starting things through you. I can't tell you how many times I've had to die again. I started that. That was my idea. Now they're getting famous for it. It's a thing you can't get far away from. I'm not owed any of this. If not for the grace of God, I'm dead somewhere. None of us deserve it. None of us are owed it. It's all God's grace. 
God's dream for your life comes from God's grace for your life. So for some of you, this idea that God has dreams for your life may be new. There's this idea that floats around in in some Christian circles. It's like, well, the most important thing is getting people saved. It's really important. And don't mishear me. I think it's a very important thing. People getting saved is very important. I've dedicated my life to it. But what usually is missing is a little piece of information. We say, well, what we mean by saved is we're going to save you from going to hell when you die so that you can go to heaven when you die. Do you see there's a giant gap in the middle? Both of those things revolve around dying. And yet there's something about the life that we live now that matters. I grew up living uh, in a denomination where I felt like I was like, oh, I just got to hold on tight. hope I act right till I die. And yet God has dreams for your life now. The picture of salvation in Scripture is not that simplified. It's actually a little bit simpler. The picture of salvation in the Bible is that you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And when you get transferred into the kingdom of God, it's not like, all right, great, I did it, I'm done, I can hang out for a little while. You're not just saved from the kingdom of darkness, you're saved for the kingdom of God. You have a role to play. It's not optional. This is not a passenger ship. Do you realize that? The church of Jesus Christ is not a passenger ship. It's a battleship. It's all hands on deck. Everybody that gets invited in has a role to play. And if you don't play your role, somebody else has to. It's not a passenger ship. When God saved you, he didn't save you to just to sit in a row and hang out and wait till the end. Verse 10 says this. says that you are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's not you are in, in Christ Jesus, you're created in Christ Jesus to hang on till you die. You have a job to do. And that job is something that God has dreamed for your life. What Paul is saying is that you were saved for the purpose of working in the kingdom. What this means is if you're not dead yet, you still have work to do. Any dead people in here? No dead people in here? Good. Everybody still has a job to do. There's, you know, the Bible knows nothing of retirement. There's not like a Bible 401k, you know, you can invest in the New Testament plan. That's not a thing. I challenge you to look through the Bible and find anywhere where it talks about retirement in the Bible. Retirement's not a thing. Over and over and over, people's ministry assignments get changed. You know, Paul is, a, is wandering about planting churches, leading people to Jesus, and then his assignment gets, now he's hanging out in a prison and telling people about Jesus. His ministry assignment changed, but he doesn't retire. There's no such thing. Until Christ returns, there's always more of the works of the enemy to undo. There's always more of the kingdom of God advancing that we participate in. There's not an end to this. And let me just say, we need people who are battle-tested. We need people who have been in this for a while. Every last one of us needs people around us who know how to navigate this battle for a long time. Have you watched how many church leaders have fallen in the past few years? 
It's like all the time. Have you seen how many people have fallen away and, and have stumbled? The, the problem is that we have not followed and walked with people who know how to navigate this battle for a long time. And if you're in this room and you've been doing that for a long time, you've been in the battle for a long time, we need you. We need you to help us navigate. We need you to help us walk through life. I'm not talking about standing in front of a crowd with a microphone. What I'm talking about is linking arms with somebody who's newer to this fight, newer to this battle, and saying, let me be your friend and help you walk. We need you. We need you. You know, one of the things that is, is beautiful, if you look around, this church has been fairly, uh, in its history, fairly good at connecting with young people, which is a very exciting thing, Right? You know, I don't know if you've been in other churches, but people are like, what's happening to the next generation? They're all falling away. The world is ending, right? And yet people connect with Jesus in and through this church. And that's amazing because here's the thing. Young people who meet Jesus have passion. They have energy. They're crazy. They're willing to engage the battle at like levels that, they're, you know, those who have more experience are like, I don't know about that. Some of you are like, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? But here's the thing. Unless we want all of the young people to blow out, we need older people who have been doing this for a while to walk with us. And can I just say, if you're a young person in this church, I want to talk to you, that's like most of you, but if you're a young person in this church, I want to celebrate the fact that you have passion and energy for the battle. You have excitement for what God is doing, and you will just run. I mean, once you get to a certain age, selling your house and moving around the world just seems stupid, quite honestly. But young people will do these things. Why? We have passion and energy, and we have more excitement than we have intelligence, I think, half the time. But can I just say to all the young people in this room, you need older people. You need older people. You need people who are further down that road, who have been walking this out for a while, who know how this game goes to help you navigate. You need that wisdom, and you need to have the humility to actually engage it. You need to hear what people have to say. Listen, one of the greatest tragedies I have seen, and it's being healed, I think, in the vineyard is that we're a young people movement. We're all young and super excited, and we sort of think, you know, young is where it's at, but we have seen so many people blow out in the history of this movement because they didn't pay attention to older people. Listen, we've been so concerned about not taking advice from people who aren't vineyard that we would rather blow out? This is nonsense. There are people in denominations who have been walking with Jesus for a really long time, and they might have something wise to say to us. We need to listen to people who are older than us, who have been doing this longer. And they might have something to say that you don't like, and that's probably a good thing. Now, older people, no, more experienced people. For all of you who are more experienced, we need you. We need you. What you lack in energy, you more than make up for in wisdom. You more than make, make up for in wisdom. And we need you. We don't need you to preach to us. What we need you to do is be friends with us. Look around this room. Everybody who is a young person 
You need an older person to be friends with. Older people, we need you to be friends with us, but you're probably going to have to start that relationship. Most of us are a little bit too intimidated to start that relationship. But the way it looks is, let me walk with you as a guide. Let me walk with you as a guide. Let me give you some pointers. Let me help you navigate this. Yeah, you're still leading your ministry. You're still leading your team. That's great. Can I walk with you and tell you some of the pitfalls? We need you. No matter what age, no matter what stage you are in life, God has a dream for your life. I want to finish this way. How do we step into the dreams that God has for our lives? In some sense, as we engage deeper and deeper in relationship with Jesus, it just sort of gets birthed in you. I can't tell you how it is that, that God birthed his dreams in my life. I just sort of ha- started happening. You know, and all of a sudden I was dreaming dreams that weren't mine. And so at some level, it just happens to you. But just an awareness that there are dreams that God has for you might be enough to get you started. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you've just sort of been navigating this Christian life and trying to do the right thing and trying to live it the way that you're supposed to, but you didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that, that God actually had a dream for you. And maybe that's enough. Maybe knowing that God has a dream and that God still speaks is enough because the fact of the matter is God is more invested in you living into his dream than you are. So maybe that's enough. But here's the thing. A lot of times it requires us to give a yes that maybe we haven't given, quite honestly. You know, what what God is asking for is an unqualified yes, right? A lot of times the yes that we give is, yes, if. Yes, God, I'll do it if. Yes, God, I'll do it but. Yes, God, you can have anything and. And what God wants is, no matter what you say, the answer is yes. And maybe if you're not sure what God's dream for your life is, it's because you've put conditions on the yes that you've given him. Where he needs a conditionless yes. Maybe that's the step that you have to take today. But suppose maybe you've given your yes. No qualifications to it. It's an unqualified yes. You're still not sure. You're still not sure what God's dream for your life is. What then? There's a lot of thoughts. I'm going to just make one. Verse 10, I want to look at one more time. It says, we are God's handiwork. Some translations that you read say we are God's masterpiece. Some translations say we are God's workmanship. Quite literally what it means is we are the product that God made. We are the tool that God made for the dream that he had. He fashioned us in accordance with the plan that he had for for us, the dream that he had. He recreated us in Christ so that we might be suitable to do the thing that he desires us to do. Let me paint you a picture. I want you to envision with me a revolutionary war battle, right? I mean, war nowadays is weird, but it's weird all the time. But think about like, you know, two lines, soldiers facing each other. This side is the kingdom of God. This side is the kingdom of darkness. And they're facing each other and they're going to fight. And right behind the front line of the kingdom of God, God is sitting on his horse He's got the binoculars and he's looking across at the kingdom of darkness. 
And he looks behind enemy lines, and what he sees is these circles of people who are chained together. They're enslaved and chained together, just these giant circles of people. And as he looks a little closer, what he sees is this circle is people who are enslaved to a pornography addiction. They're all chained together. They all have the same struggle. These people, they're, they're clustered together and they're enslaved to drug addiction. These people are drunk together. These people are lying to each other. They're, they're telling all kinds of stories. They're stealing. This group over here, they're abusing each other and being abused. And he looks across and as he scans the horizon, he sees you in your circle. And his heart breaks. And he says, I want that one. And as he looks at the people you're chained with, his heart breaks even more. And he says, I want all of those. And so he commands the line, we're going to go take that circle. We're going to go break in. And so the line breaks in and he breaks the chains off of you. And he says, this one's mine. And he's got this muddled mess. And he says, I give you life. And he begins to shape you. He begins to mold you. He begins to put the pieces together. He begins to, to make you into the tool that he needs. And what he says is, now go back into that circle and set the rest of them free. That's God's heart sometimes. Frequently, the way God uses you is he says, I've saved you from this, not so that you never again engage those people, but so that you in your healed state, you can bring them to me. Friends, so often the invitation of the Lord to you is to rescue those who are like you were. To set free those people who are captive like you used to be. That you walk back in as a testament to God's grace. And you say, I'm taking these with me. If you're not sure what God's dream for your life is, can I suggest that it may be that you walk into the places of destruction that you came from. Some of the most powerful advocates for the unborn that I've ever talked to are people who, women who had abortions and they experienced the grace of God and they were healed and they went back to women who were at risk and said, please don't make the mistakes I've made. Walk with me. Some of the most powerful pornography addiction uh, ministers are people who lost everything because of an addiction. And at the depth of their loss, they discovered the grace of God was deeper still. And so they devoted their lives to seeing men and women come free from that. If you're not sure what the dream of God is for your life, may I suggest that it might be from the deepest point of pain in your life. There's not a person in this room who doesn't have something they wish they could have back. There's not a person in this room who says, man, I wish I didn't have the childhood I had. Man, I wish I didn't do that. I didn't make that mistake. Man, I wish I hadn't struggled that way. I wish I wouldn't have had that addiction. I wouldn't have, wish I wasn't abused that way. And God says, let me heal you. 
And the reason I'm healing you is for you, but it's also for them. Can I suggest that it may be that the dream of God for your life is that you come through healing of the place of your deepest pain that you might bring those who are experiencing it now home. That may be the dream of God for your life. Can I suggest that you might press into that? That you might be someone who, though you were abused, though you were mistreated, though you didn't have the childhood you hoped, you can be someone through whom the kingdom comes for other people. And in that way, God does actually make all things work out for the good of those who love him. That even though you were treated that way, the good that God brings is that others won't have to stay that way. Friends, God has put dreams in your hearts. God has a dream for your life. And I want to encourage us to be people who would have courage to step out into the dreams that God has for our lives. Listen, if it doesn't scare you, it may not be from the Lord. If it's not like so overwhelming and doesn't require God to show up, it may not be big enough. God has given you dreams and he has a dream that he wants for your life. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.